The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit and brother will deliver brother over death and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is God's word. It's true. Father, guide my lips, guide my heart as I declare these difficult words. Amen. It's called, it's called doom scrolling. Have you ever heard this term, doom scrolling? I'm not seeing a lot of nods. The headline from BBC asks this question. Why does endlessly looking for bad news feel so strangely gratifying and satisfying? Do you find yourself doing this? On your phone, swiping right where all the headlines lay out all of the doomsworthy things of the day and finding yourself strangely gratified by more and more things going wrong in the world? Doom scrolling. I heard the term from a 20-something celebrity describing a way in which she deals with her anxiety. She spends significant amounts of time consuming negative news articles, angry opinion columns, violent images, and it does something within her and within us, doesn't it? It feels this strangely comforting or calming sensation. Why? Researchers say one way in which we counter our own fear or loss of control is by viewing things that appear to be even more out of control than our own worlds. The world is really bad outside, but I'm safe here. The world is out of control, but at least my world is held together, even if it feels like just by a string. 
But ironically, the temporary comfort from doom scrolling can lead a person to actually become more fearful, more isolated, more anxious. Today and for the next two weeks after today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. It's got a strange Christian doom scrolling posture to it. We can see all this bad stuff that Jesus promises is going to happen. And we read it and we maybe even read it today thinking, oh, that's happening right now. Wars in Ukraine, earthquakes in Haiti, droughts and out of control fires in Cali. And we feel the sense of comfort in knowing, you know what? It hasn't hit as close to our home just yet. Let's just keep looking for signs of the end. And maybe the closer we know we are to the end, the better we can be prepared. The sooner we can escape all this mess and Jesus can take us home. But friends, that's not what or who I believe Mark 13 is written for. Within all of these promises of doom, Jesus lays out here. Look at what he commands his disciples, the apostles, to do. He says to them, don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. Keep your mind clear. And don't be anxious. We should expect the opposite response from Jesus, right? If I said to you, you know what? This building is about to be set on fire in a few months. Yikes! You're all going to be arrested and brought to trial. Ah, ouch! You're going to be hated by everyone, including your closest family members. Yikes! You're even going to go to the death for my sake and for my name. Ouch. But he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. What's going on here? Well, I think it has to do with our limited and human understanding of what an end is. We view these end times prophecies with anxiety, with finality. And friends, it drives me crazy, but there are authors and televangelists who make millions of dollars in publishing and producing material that preys on fearful and anxious Christians with the term end times. It's the Christian version of doom scrolling. I'll give you some titles. Sold 80 million copies called Left Behind. Another one's called Tipping Point. The end is here. And it's got a picture of the earth just burning up. Written by best-selling author. Another one's called The End of the Age. The Countdown Has Begun. And my favorite was this. Last Day's Survival Guide. It's got boots on the front. Why do these books do so well? Because we're so afraid. We're so scared. Because end seems so scary. But what if, I propose, what if everything Jesus spoke about in Mark 13, in this passage we covered today, what if everything he spoke about already happened? Not to you, but to the disciples Jesus is privately addressing. What if the birth pains, all of the ending pains that Jesus promises to Peter, John, James, Andrew, have now given way to a birth? What if this end in Mark 13, friends, is part of a new beginning? 
it would do something serious to my anxieties. We're believing that end is not the end. To know that end is an entrance into new beginnings. If we knew that, we can stay the course of faith. That we can believe that any end in Christ, according to the gospel, is just a beginning. And that beginning is the kingdom of God. Today's passage, it's divided into three things Jesus wanted his disciples to see. This is part of our work in investigating a text. How a passage can be structured to reveal what God wants us to understand and see. And Mark uses the Greek verb blepo. We don't use that word in everyday language. He uses the word blepo to put our eyes on three things. See, see, see. See first, a temple. See second, a temptation. And see third, a testimony. When we see these three ending signs, our anxieties can be soothed. Our left behind books can be put on the shelf. Our faith can be secured. First, see a temple and see that temples, that temporary temples end. Look with me at verses one to three. I want you to notice the finality of the first verse. Jesus coming out of the temple. He's been in the temple the last several chapters, but there's a separation going on here. He's cleansed the temple of wicked practices. He's promised that there's going to be a new sacrifice coming to this place. He's promised himself being that sacrifice. And he's confronted every temple leader so that they can't even say a word anymore. They've been silenced by his authority. And as Jesus is leaving this temple once and for all, he's out of there. He's not going back in there. One of his disciples, some believe possibly Judas, says to him, Wow, look at this place. Look at this place. We got to understand why this place was so impressive to maybe Judas or one of his disciples. Herod's temple was still a work in progress in Jesus' day. And it measured a full mile in circumference, the temple did. A full mile. Herod's temple was about 12 Lambo fields in size. 12 Lambos. It was 35 acres wide. 35 acres, 12 Lambo fields, one mile in circumference. That's huge. Jesus reminds his disciples and the rest of us, don't be too impressed. Because this temple has always served as a temporary placeholder of what's coming. The temple's been the place where God's people and God intersect or meet. It held the sacrificial system which pointed to a God who forgives people of their sins. And it also held the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, sits. It was the closest place a human could get to God without dying. And even that place, the Holy of Holies, was only accessed once a year by one high priest. But what had happened to the temple was that it became a place of man-made glory. And Jesus asks his disciples to blepo, to see this great building. And gives promise that it will be so thoroughly demolished in A.D. 70 
that it would be hard to believe that it was ever there in the first place. Can you imagine for a second the blinds are closed, but you can see Lambo. You can see Lambo from there. You might be able to see Lambo from there. Can you imagine people in our community in 70 years saying this? The pack, the packer who? Lambo what? Aaron Rodgers who? In 70 years? Can you imagine that being completely erased from people's memory? But what does this temple end mark the beginning of? A new place of sacrifice. A new intersection between God and man. A new access to Holy of Holies. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, kind of similar to where we can look down on Lambeau. He's looking down on the temple. And as you heard in the Old Testament passage, he's as king and judge declaring it null and void. It's no longer going to be necessary. The king is building something new. So don't be, as, don't be surprised, disciples, when that temporary temple is taken out. It's raised with a Z. It's replaced by something permanent. I want to ask us this question this morning. What are the temporary man-made markers Jesus is reminding you are going to fall? Maybe it's a person that you've clung so tightly to, or people you've clung so tightly to, or your spouse, or your kids, or your, even your own healthy body. Maybe it's starting to fall apart. Maybe it's an ideal job or a specific stage of life that you're clinging to. Maybe it's your home that you've built or the home that you're building or the retirement home you're looking forward to. These temporary markers, while they may point you to the grace and mercy and kindness of God, cannot hold your faith. They're not permanent. So I encourage you, stay the course on Jesus, the new temple builder. Who says the end is only the beginning. What he knocks down, he restores to something better. Stay the course on Jesus means not making daily sacrifices in your life in order to, approve, in order to get God's approval of you. Stay the course on Jesus means looking to the one sacrifice on the cross which obtained God's full and complete and forever approval of you. Sins forgiven. Period. Perfection granted. Period. Stop performing for God. It's been done. Staying the course on Jesus means not putting your hope in any temporary man-made trapping of this world. We have access to our Father, and we don't have to depend on a high priest or a pastor to give you access to God. You can call God, Father, yourself, because Christ has given you keys to a new family home. Stay the course on Jesus, friends, by putting your phone down, putting the end times book down, and looking at the open tomb. Because that open tomb is an open womb where new life is as much yours as it was Christ's and the disciples. Stay on the course of Jesus. I just want to encourage you, look hard right now. Ask the Lord to help you see what are the temporary things. I can't even imagine going away. 
and think, Lord, if you took those away, what could you begin in me? See the temporary temple's end. Second, see the temptation to be led down a dead end. See this in verses 4 to 8. Jesus' inner circle of Peter, John, James, and Andrew, they ask Jesus, how will we know this will happen, this temple destruction? What predictors can you give us? And Jesus sits down, which is a mark of his authority, and he says to them, see that no one leads you astray. Instead of giving them a sign, he gives them a command. The good shepherd God warns of false shepherd gods. People will come claiming to be I am who will mislead many people. When do these kind of leaders rise? During times of uncertainty. And Jerusalem was in a time of uncertainty. Wars and rumors of wars are going on. The Jewish revolutionists are going to take over the Romans. That's all happening at this time. What happens to doom scrollers? We look for something to assure us it won't happen. Or that it'll happen successfully. So what are they tempted to do, the disciples? They're tempted to find a leader who's going to promise them protection, peace, preservation. History actually has documentation that prior to 70 AD, prior to the destruction of the temple, leaders like Theudas, he's mentioned in Acts 5, he led many astray by claiming to be God. He actually had a claim that he was able to part the Jordan River and people followed him and went to the death with him. I was in D.C. last week. I saw so many hats saying, Trump save America 2024. It won't just be outside leaders, though. It will come from within the church deliverers who will use Yahweh, I am, as a campaign slogan. They'll use alarm and fear to make the path of deception so easy to take. And Jesus warns them, no, do not follow them. Follow me. Cling to Jesus. Why? He says, because this is the beginning of the birth pains. All of this fear stuff that's going on around you. It's the sign you need to know there's a new baby church being born. Birth pains, friends, were a lot more real to Jesus and his audience than to us. In our day and age, mamas go to the hospital and they go typically into a closed room that's probably well insulated acoustically, right? So you can't hear what's going on in there to express the pain of childbirth, right, Amanda? But in Jesus's day and age, everyone would know what labor sounds like because it was happening in the home. Brothers and sisters knew what their, when their baby brothers and sisters were coming because they could hear it. Do you know the sound of natural childbirth? You remember that? It's loud. As a 10-year-old, I remember when my sister was born, my mom, I got permission to share the story, for some reason had taken an audio recording of her in labor for my sister. And I remember my aunt came over to see the baby, and I remember hearing screams of anguish coming 
from the living room boombox, we called them back then, from the living room boombox. And I, I was mortified. I'm like, she sounds, my mom sounds like she's dying. Like, that's a horrible, horrible sound. So I went in to investigate. Like, I had to see, what are you doing? What is going on in here? And I watched as my mom and my aunt both were dabbing tears off their faces. And it wasn't in the labor pains that they were dabbing tears. It was when the sound of the doctor saying, it's a girl. And hearing my newborn sisters cry on the recording replaced the shrieks and the wails of labor that they had such joy. Baby had come. This is what Jesus is wanting the disciples to hear amidst the shrieks and the labors of false teachers, wars between Rome and Jewish revolutionists, confusing messages of war closing in on them, earthquakes, famines. The baby church is being born. Don't be afraid. The kingdom of God is coming. Our temptation is trying what we do as humans is we try to make sense of the labor pains. Try to make sense of labor pains. There's not much sense to it. That's what end times literature often does. We just get distracted by the labor pains and not the promise. That's not Jesus' aim here. His aim is to keep them grounded and present and patient that a baby is about to be born. Stay faithful and fixed on me. When one of our members a few weeks ago was having on and off labor pains, they needed to be reminded There is a baby coming. These pains will lead to a baby coming. A new creation is coming. So friends, stay on the course of Jesus. The end is only the beginning. Where are you tempted to cling to the pains? Where are you tempted to be so stuck on the signs of trial and suffering and labor pains that you've lost sight of the promise of new life and resurrection and new creation? that are being born as a result of your pain. Stay the course on Jesus, whose suffering brought forth your salvation. Stay the course. Stop complaining. Look ahead. Listen for the cries of new birth coming from those painful places. Don't go down the dead end. Of giving in to temptation saying, I guess this is it. Oh well. No. It's baby's cry that is being heard. See the temple's temporary end. See the temptation to go down a dead end. And finally see the eyewitnesses end. Look at verses 9 to 13. The ESV translates Jesus' command as be on your guard. So you don't see the word see in that. But a more... Fitting translation would be, see that you keep a clear head. And who he's speaking to is idealists. Idealists who can get caught up in the lie that says utopia can come before death. He says, in essence, he tells his disciples, none of you are getting out of here alive You're going to be handed over, betrayed, beaten, on trial, rejected, hated. Any utopian, that's going to fly in the face of, oh, creating a best life now. Not only that, you're going to be betrayed by friends, family, people who you gave birth to, or people who uh, have given birth to you. 
the original audience of Mark were persecuted Christians who were treated much like the Nazi Germany treated Jews. They were called by Nero, Christians were called depraved and holding to a deadly supervision, superstition, he said of Christians. Depraved. Let's be rid of them. Jesus says, see that you keep a clear mind, not allowing rejection coming at you from all sides to be a summary of where you stand before God. No, no. You belong to Jesus and the church. You are being persecuted in my name. Stay the course. Keep a clear head. It's going to be hard. I was sitting with a friend recently, just commiserating on some of the doubts I was having about my own ineffectiveness in ministry. And as many of you maybe don't know, I'm an idealist, actually. But life sometimes beats the idealism out of us. And I was saying to a friend of mine, I could count on more than two hands the number of people in my ministry experience who either don't care for me, don't want to talk to me, or maybe even hate me as a result of my ministry experience. And I was sharing with him how I wonder, friend, is, is this a sign or an indication from God that I'm way off and how I'm ministering the gospel to people? That I'm leaving this path of seeming destruction behind me of people who hate me? And he locked eyes with me. And in not identical but similar words said, Chad, you got to keep a clear head. He said, I don't know of any minister of the gospel who wouldn't have the same tally, if not more, than yours. Have you read Mark 13, Chad? It said you'll be hated by all on account of Jesus. Stay the course on Jesus. The end is only the beginning. This means remembering, friends, that there were men and women, Peter, John, James, Andrew, who had an eyewitness view of Jesus, a man they followed who died. They saw him die and who came back to life. And they saw him come back to life. And they faithfully followed him down the same path of pain, betrayal, rejection, and death. Jesus' death and the apostles' death became the foundation of this very church, the source of this very Bible we read. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, friends, which we'll do in a moment, we have to remember we're staying on the same course the apostles were on, the path toward death. Even if Judas kisses you on the cheek, even if our friends or our kids disown us, even if we don't know what to say and we don't know how it would be handled if we had to go to bat for Jesus, guess what? His new temple is in you and in us. His spirit, the Holy of Holies, lives in us and moves our hearts and lips to speak. You don't have to rehearse what you're going to say. He'll help you. Stay the course on Jesus means pausing our utopian views of a new Jerusalem, of a new church filled with perfect people, pausing it for after death, not before it. I'll just close with this. I had the privilege last week of touring the Holocaust Museum in D.C. And for those who've not been there, they're really, really thoughtful in how they laid the place out structurally. Because you started at the top and through the whole museum, it was a slow downward descent to give you the experience of what it would be like to be a victim, to be degraded from human to subhuman to inhuman 
to unhuman. And the lowest point in that museum where I took the most time to grieve was in the room of the remains. There was an entire room filled with thousands of victims' shoes representing the 13 million people exterminated through the hatred found in World War II. And on the walls are the words, we are the shoes. We are the last witnesses. Because we are made only of fabric and leather and not of blood and flesh. We've avoided the hellfire. I tried to imagine these shoes as once holding precious people made in the image of God's feet. One shoe in particular was about four inches in length, caught my eye. Shoes that held promise of life for a two or three-year-old. It was so sad, so bleak, so heartbreaking. But then I think of these first witnesses, Peter, John, James, Peter, Jews who were executed, not only because they were of Jewish descent, but because they were of Jesus' descent. I imagine them in their executions, clinging to the words of their Savior who loved them by taking on the sin of their own hellfire on on himself, clinging to him. How Jesus stepped into the suffocating chamber of death so that they could live. These disciples, these apostles could stay the course on Jesus. Even as legend has it, being crucified like Peter was upside down. Because Jesus stayed the course on them. They were hated, despised, rejected. Because he loved them. Because he had great affection and acceptance of them. Friends, these disciples are our first witnesses. And we now walk in their spiritual shoes. We are new temples. Every generation of the church. Housing the same powerful Holy Spirit. We are the next generation of witnesses. Knowing that our end. Even our death. Is just the beginning. Stay the course on Jesus. Because the one who endures to the end. Is saved to a beginning. Which never ends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son delivering it to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would remind us that our end, any one of us here who have faith in Christ, our end is just the beginning. May we have eyes to see that we are living testimonies witnesses to what Christ has done for us. And may, as we recite the Apostles' Creed, remember that the church is continuing to be birthed through your witnesses, through your people, through generations upon generations. And may we have hope to know that even the trials we experience as your followers are temporary But the promise that we have in Jesus is forever. We ask this in his name. Amen.